turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Where, um, I, 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 I don't know, I'm taking a stab. I'm, about a year, year and a half ago, we began our journey through First and Second Corinthians. And we're coming to the close of Second Corinthians. And it's been a wonderful, awesome study of, uh, of God's word. But question for you before we read the passage. What is the church, what is their greatest investment? What is the, what is the greatest investment of the church? Better yet, what's, what's your greatest investment? What are, what are people's greatest investments in life? Some people would say, you know, well, it's my job. Some people say it's my home. Some people say it's um, my bank account. But let me tell you something. Those are not, those should not be our greatest investment. Our greatest investment as a church and collectively as a group and as a believer should be people. Should be people. Should be building the kingdom. Should be building the kingdom. But what's so important, and we're going to talk about it this morning, this passage that we're looking at this morning, is not rich in theology per se. It's not rich in deep theological truths. It's really the Apostle Paul making his final appeal to the Corinthians to say, hey, stay away from the false teachers and listen to me because I'm the real apostle. But the, the thing about it is, is he's defending, he's, you're going to see this morning his character traits and how he defended himself to the Corinthian church. And it's very important that you and I, as we present the gospel to the world, as we minister to people within the body of Christ, that we're careful of our body language and we're careful of the words we use and we're very um, sensitive to the way we present ourselves. Because a lot of times, people will, look at, people will listen to your message by the life that you live. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's, let's get into the word. Let's, let's read the first five verses. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, where we left, left off from last week. It says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I had become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? That's a question. I myself did not become a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. Here for this third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save it for their parents, but the parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? What is the church our greatest investment? What is our greatest investment as disciples of Jesus Christ? It is people. It is people. It is making an impact in this world. This past week, I had an amazing week. Tuesday, I got to go listen to uh, John Maxwell speak. I was given tickets. Me and my wife were given tickets. And we went out to see John Maxwell speak. And he said some very profound things. He said a lot of profound things. But just a, what, the thing that stuck out to me the most that John Maxwell said was this. He says, most people don't lead their life. They accept it. In other words, what he's saying is people just let come whatever may be and just kind of just go with the flow of the river and see what happens in life. But John Maxwell says that um, we have to lead our lives. And in leading our lives, he says, we have to be intentional. You 
You and I have to be intentional in life on our mission. And as we live out our life on mission, serving the Lord, making impacts for people, making impacts for Christ in people's lives, we got to remember this. He, and John Maxwell said this. He says, nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens by accident. It takes work. It takes, it takes a lot of hard work. And then um, that was Tuesday. And then um, Thursday, uh, me and Irene were, man, this is just, it, was a, it was a blessed week, great week. Um, Irene and I were invited to the Oliver Gospel Mission's 130th anniversary downtown. And we got to listen to Mike Huckabee speak. And that was a blessing. That was super cool. But the thing about, as I was listening to Mike Huckabee talk about the Oliver Gospel Mission and what they've been doing for the homeless and for the downtrodden people of our, of our, of our city for over 130 years, is um, they were called to help people. They, they were emphasizing that they were making a, an example of um, Jim Hudson and several other big business owners here in the Midlands that have helped them and sustained them in their mission of reaching out to people. But he also made it a point that it comes down to the local church and it comes down to believers. Now, he did, they did make an appeal for us to support them financially, and we did. Not us as a church, as the Ford family, but we, we, we wanted to help and support the Oliver Gospel Mission. But the reason that we chose to support the Oliver Gospel Mission is because we want to invest not only our time and our energy in people, but we want to invest our finances. But it was an amazing time. They were given all these testimonies of all the men and women who've gone through the Oliver Gospel Mission in the future, and they're going to be doing great things in our city. And I look forward to, in the future, at some point in the future of Calvary Chapel Irma, of us being able to help them and be a part. The Oliver Gospel Mission is a lot like the um, U-Turn for Christ. And there's nothing, no place I'd rather be than helping men and women. So the title of my message this morning, How to Have an Impact for Jesus Towards People. And what I'm specifically looking at this morning is our people skills. Our people skills. How we deal with people in our character. How we deal with people in the way we present our, ourselves. As I said a while ago, people will listen to you based on your witness. If someone has a haughty attitude, or is a jerk, they're not going to listen to you. But if you're humble, and you come across as kind and caring, people will listen to you. It all depends on the way people perceive you. So let's look at verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. The Apostle Paul says here, I have become foolish, you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. In, the, in context, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 through 12, Paul is defending his apostolic authority. He's defending his apostolic authority to the Corinthians, because the Corinthians have two people speaking to them. They have Paul speaking to them, and they have the false apostles that are there have infiltrated the ranks of the church. And the false apostles, the false teachers, were trying to draw a wedge. They were trying to put a wedge between Paul and the Corinthian believers. And he starts off, verse 11, he says, I have become foolish. He says, I have become foolish. Because, why? Because he had to defend himself. He had to defend himself to the church that he established on a second missionary journey. He spent 18 months there. And he's having to defend himself now. They... They should have defended him. 
They should have defended him. The, the Corinthian believers, with common sense and eyes open, should have been able to look at the false apostles, the false teachers, and say, what have you done? And the truth of the matter is, there's no record of anything the false teachers had done. Uh, chapter 11, verse 20, talks about who they were. They just boasted in themselves. They bragged in themselves. It says they enslaved the people. But how about Paul? Paul, what was his um, resume? What was Paul's resume? Paul's life, the Apostle Paul's life that he had lived when he was writing to the Corinthians testified of itself. And it was known throughout the church of all the miracles that he had done. Look at verse 12. He says, the signs of a true apostle, defending his apostleship, he says, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Paul didn't just claim to be an apostle. He proved himself to be an apostle by his miracles. Acts chapter 9. What happened in Acts chapter 9? He, Paul witnesses the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He was an eyewitness, and he saw this supernatural where, where, where Paul converts him and changes his heart towards, towards himself, towards the Lord. That was, the, that, was the, that was this Paul. That was the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 14, it says there was a lame man there at Lystra, and uh, he couldn't walk. He was lame. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 14 that Paul looked at him and saw that the man had faith to be healed. And what did Paul do? He commanded him. He says, get up, rise up. And for the first time in that lame man's life, the guy rose. A supernatural healing took place by the apostle Paul. Uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, he restored uh, Eutychus to life. Remember what happened to Eutychus? Paul was preaching late one night. And what does Eutychus do? He starts dozing off. That's encouragement to me. When I'm preaching, and I see people on Sunday morning starting to doze off, and I look at Paul, and I read what happened with Eutychus, that's encouraging to me that people fell asleep during his sermons too. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is Eutychus, what does it say? It says he was sitting on the window ledge, listening to Paul. He dozes off. He falls out, he falls out and they thought he was dead. Paul runs down there, jumps on top of him, prays for him, and God supernaturally restores him to life. That was one of Paul's miracles. That was one of the things that was evidence that he was an apostle. How about Acts chapter 20? What happened in Acts chapter 20 at Malta? Paul stuck his hand in where? The, in the fire. And it says the viper reached out, popped him. And nothing happened. The, 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 the people thought he was going to die. But God supernaturally kept the viper from killing him. And they exclaimed that, he was, that Paul was a deity. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm an apostle. And this is a supernatural occurrence of, of, of my apostleship in taking the gospel to the Gentile world. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. This is a pretty cool one. It says, uh, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Paul back in this day, and all these supernatural things were happening that the natural laws can't explain, there would be a temptation for what? Pride. There would be a temptation to say, like the football players do, when they score a touchdown. There would be this, there would be this temptation to want to pride in it, to want to glory in it, 
to want to say, look at me, look at me. But look at the last three words of verse 11. This tells you Paul's attitude. Look at the last three words. Um, The NASB, excuse me, last four words. Um, I am a nobody. Some of your versions say, I am nothing. Despite all these miracles, despite this supernatural work of God in the apostle Paul, he says, man, I am nobody. Don't look at me. Take, take, take the spotlight off of me and put the spotlight on Jesus. And that was his evidence, and that was what he was telling them. Because what were the, the false teachers were bringing attention to themselves and to their own haughtiness. Um, Paul says, he says, I will not boast. So if you're taking notes, if you want to make an impact on people, the first principle for making an impact on people in your daily walk and in your witness to, to non-believers and to people you're ministering to is number one is walk in humility. Walk in humility. I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am by the grace of God. And this same grace that's been given to me, I'm going to extend to you. Amen? I'm going to extend it to you. Uh, Don't put yourself on a pedestal. Don't put yourself on a pedestal. Paul didn't put himself on a pedestal. Jesus didn't put himself on a pedestal. We shouldn't put ourselves on a pedestal. And if you put yourself on a pedestal, guess what? Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to listen to you. People want somebody that is authentic. Somebody that is authentic. Somebody that is real. Somebody that is transparent. Somebody that you can go to and say, you know what, brother? I got struggles too. I'm in the fight too. That's what people want to see. People want to see real, authentic Christian living. Real, authentic Christian living. Let's continue. Verse 13. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? There's some sarcasm here. He says, forgive me this wrong. The the truth of the matter is, according to Acts chapter 18 at the very beginning, is Paul was not a burden. He he spent 18 months at Corinth on the second missionary journey. And in the early parts of Acts chapter 18, it tells us in there that as while Paul was doing ministry at Corinth, what was he doing? Who was he working with? He was working with Priscilla and Aquila as a tent maker. Paul was going to see to it that in all his ministries, he was not a burden. And that's important in our witness, that we're not a burden to people, that we bring good news, that we bring good news, that Christ will lift the burden. Verse 14, continuing the thought, he says, "Um, Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden to you. He repeats this phrase a lot that Paul does. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. I love you more. If Excuse me. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Verses 14 and 15 teach us so much about how we present ourselves in ministry, how we present ourselves, our character, and and our witness to people. So let's let's look at these. I want to to break these down. There's actually three of them in verses uh, 14 and 15. I call these um, people skills, people skills or, or, or ministry skills. Verse 14, the first one there is he says, as we said a while ago, he says, I will not be a burden to you. 
he repeats that phrase two times. And the false teachers, according to the last chapter we're in, uh, verse 20 of chapter 11, the false teachers, they exalted themselves. They took advantage of the Corinthians. They enslaved them. And Paul is saying, when, he said, when Paul says, I'm not going to be a burden to you, he says, I'm not going to exalt myself. I'm not going to take advantage of you, and I'm not going to enslave you. I bring this gospel of liberty, this gospel of truth that's going to set you free. A burden. What is a burden? A burden is simply, the Webster's Dictionary defines it, as a heavy load. A heavy load. And Paul says in his ministry to the Corinthians, I'm not going to be a heavy load to you. I'm not going to burden you. So the principle number two in our character witness to the world, to believers, is we don't want to become a burden. We don't want to be a burden. Our job is to lift burdens, not create them. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. And that's our ministry that we bring to people, the gospel of good news, that God forgives their sins, gives them a new life, gives them a new heart, and gives them rest for their weary and worn out soul. Second one, um, that's in verse 14. Also, uh, continuing in verse 14, the next phrase, he says, uh, this is good. He says, I do not seek what is yours, but I seek you. He says, I seek you. Paul's saying here, I'm not coming after your property. I'm not coming after your money. I'm not coming after your stuff. I'm not coming after all the physical things. I'm, Paul says, I'm coming after your heart. I'm coming after your heart because that's where God wants. Man comes to God <clears throat> and says this. Man comes to God and says, okay, God, I'll go to church on every Sunday. Every Sunday, I will start going to church. You know what God says? That's not what I want. That's not what I want first. That's not what's most important. It's not that you go to church. Man comes to God and says, okay, I'm going to start giving to charities. Well, that's good that you give to charities, but ultimately, that is not what God wants. God says, um, man comes to God and says, okay, I'm going to start doing good deeds in the world. And God says, those are all good things, but ultimately, that's not what I want. God wants your heart. God wants my heart. He wants people's hearts. And then all that stuff on the outside, good works, charities, all the other stuff will take care of itself. But ultimately, the gospel is he wants our heart. God wants men's and women's hearts. You know, the, out, the outer shell is, is, is temporary. The outer shell of our life doesn't always reflect what's on the inside of the heart. What reflects most importantly is what's in the heart. What's in the heart? He wants a heart change. And when the heart change takes place, as I said a while ago, Everything else will take care of itself. You know, all of our works, what does the scripture say? They're what? They're filthy rags. God wants our heart. And Paul understood this. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Here it is, guys. Here it is. This is where Jesus wants you. This is where he wants men and women. He wants you in holy devotion to him from your heart. Now, yes, that 
inner thing takes place in your holy, devoted to him, and it works its way out in obedience. It works its way out in the way we live our lives. But ultimately, it starts in the heart. And too many people try to start on the outside and work their way in. And that's not the way God works. God works on the inside, and he works his way out. Pure, holy devotion. That was um, two of them in this verse. That was your first. So the third principle is our goal in ministering to people is to get to the heart. Is to get to the heart of people. Is to show them wholehearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's, uh, number four is found in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, uh, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. My goodness. 2,000 years later, what a beautiful picture of Paul's commitment to the church. 2,000 years ago, he says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. That word expended means completely poured out. It means completely poured out. Um, I remember when I was in, in the military, before we left the ranges, we couldn't leave with no live ammo. So all the extra ammo, we would load it up, we would expend it. And we couldn't leave there till every single ammo was expelled and, and, and shot down range. Everything was completely poured out. There was nothing left to give. And my friend, in ministry, it's a lot like that. And it's a very tough and it's a very challenging and it's a very hard road when you commit to ministering to someone and you expend yourself. You invest time. You invest energy. You invest commitment. You invest meeting with people. And it can be very, very challenging. So number four, the number four um, characteristic on how to make an impact for Christ is this. We show people we care, and we go the extra mile. When I say go the extra mile, I mean when you see someone, they're hurting, they're going through a difficult situation, they're going through a trying situation, and it's got something related to do with their walk or their family, and you go the extra mile to help them get to where they need to be, no matter what it takes. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's easy. Nine times out of ten, in my experience, I found it to be very difficult. And we Christians tend to put ourselves out there. We, 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 we tend to put ourselves out there with the potential to be hurt. To, to, to be hurt in our attempt to help people with the gospel. And that is a, just a, a challenge that we, that we have to accept. And we have to lay ourselves out there to help people move forward in their walk with Christ. Many people come into the church and they're broken. They're, they got challenges. And they need someone to come alongside them and go the extra mile and help them. You know, God, the Holy Spirit, uses people in this way to come along someone, to, to help an individual minister to another individual. What does the scripture say? Just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and may as one woman may sharpen another woman. It's, it's a beautiful picture. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your soul. In verse 15, I, gotta, I love this. I, I got to throw this in there. Um, look at verse 15. He says, uh, I love this statement about Paul. It really shows this sarcasm in his heart. He says, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? 
Now, we know from the text, it's very clear, that Paul loved the church at Corinth. He had a deep love for the believers. It was a church that he established, that he established on the second missionary journey. But what he's saying here in this phrase, if you love me, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? What he's saying is this, throw me a bone. Throw me a bone. Show me some love. Show me some love. Hey, man, I'm giving myself over to you. I'm ministering to you. Will you, will you throw me a bone every now and then? Will you say you love me? Will you, will you show, that, show that, um, that you appreciate me? And, you know, and as I'm looking at this and studying this and thinking about this, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about 2018, and, and this, is, this is what it comes down to. Leaders have emotions. Leader, leaders have emotions. And even the leaders in the church, myself, the pastor, people in ministry, we need encouragement. We need encouragement. You know, there's nothing better that helps me sleep on a Sunday afternoon under the ceiling fan than hearing someone come up to me and say, man, that really touched me. And thank you so much, Pastor David. You know, no glory to me. It's all glory to God. It's all praises go to him. I'm just the worm dirt. I'm, I'm just the servant. I am just the, I am the nothing. But it sure does help. It sure does encourage. It sure does bring fuel when we encourage those above us who teach us, who lead us, who encourage us. If someone comes alongside you and helps you through life and ministers to you and disciples you, man, shoot them a text. You know, mom and dad, if you're going home and, and you're asking little Johnny, hey, what would you learn in Sunday school? He's like, oh, yeah, I learned the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and father. And all may go well in your life. Shoot that Sunday school teacher a text and say, hey, great job today. My kids got it. That will lift him up. That will lift him up. It lifts us up. Amen? Amen. Verse 16. Verse 16, he says, uh, Paul says, But be that as it may, I do not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, Paul's using a lot of sarcasm here, I took you in by deceit. It's like an exclamation with a pause. And look at verse 17. It's like he answers, he answers the pause. He answers the question. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you. Though any of those whom I have, or any of those whom I have sent you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk and in the same steps. Paul and Titus. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful blueprint of ministry. Paul and Titus, they walked in unity. They walked in unity. It wasn't two separate messages, two separate ways of doing things. They worked together in ministry. Between Paul and Titus, there was a strong bond. There was a strong bond between uh, Paul and Titus, and no one could bring accusation. No one could bring an accusation against either of them because they walked in unity. They walked together. Three things about this ministry relationship between Paul and Titus, and these are three things that we should see in ministry today. And it's this. First, um, Paul and Titus, it says they walked in the same spirit. They, they walked in the um, same spirit and that's lowercase spirit, not talking about the Holy Spirit. They walked in the same spirit. In other words, they walked in the same mission. They had the same heart and the same um, mission in life. 
They were there to take the gospel. They were not there on their own accord. They were not there to promote their own cause or their own agenda. They had one calling, and that calling was from heaven, and it was to bring the gospel. It also says there, and um, at the very end of verse 18, it says uh, they had the same walk. They had the same walk. You know, they, they lived a life above reproach. They lived a life above reproach. And they said um, they had not taken advantage of the Corinthian believers. They didn't take advantage of any of the, of the churches. What this, what this says is uh, we give no one a reason to discredit ministry. We give no one a reason to discredit ministry. These are principles for today's ministry and for today's church that as you partner with people in a ministry, this could be small ministry, a home group ministry. This could be church leadership. This could be any level of ministry that you need to have these principles in place where the group of believers that are working together have the same spirit, have the same mission. They, they, they have the same walk. They live above reproach. So people have no reason to discredit the ministry, and they allow no one to take advantage. These are important for ministry leadership, that we walk in unity, that we walk in the same spirit, and that we walk, that, that we walk the, um, our faith out in everyday life. Um, verse 19 says uh, this, all this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. I love this. You know, sometimes these passages right here, when there's not a lot of theology, because there's not a lot of heavy theological discourse in here, some people can dismiss these passages, but no, my friend, they're not, they're not to be dismissed. They are rich in truth. And he's saying here that, that, that this is, um, he says, I've been speaking in Christ. In other words, this is what the Lord, this is what the Holy Spirit is leading me to say. Because this is important for church ministry. This is very important for church ministry. And, and I, I didn't read the very end of it because it says, and all for your upbuilding, my beloved. The fifth principle, talking about characteristics, talking about our characteristic traits as we present the gospel to people and as we minister to people in the church, is this. It's our job to build people up. It's our job to build people up. It's not our job to tear down. That's what the world does. Now, if they come into the church and there's areas that the Holy Spirit needs to peel back and take out and remove from their life, yes, that happens. But in general, as a person goes from being a non-believer to a believer, they are going up the ladder. They are being built up in their Christian faith. Everything we do should point in one direction, and that's building the believer up. Building them up. So what are our tools for building up? The Word of God. Doing what we're doing right now and hearing Scripture being preached and taught and, and diving into it yourself. And digging into the Word of God, another tool for building people up is prayer. Prayer. How many know God answers prayer? God answers prayer. As we seek His face, as we press forward and, and we press in and in prayer, God answers prayers. He answers prayer as we pray for the people that we're ministering to. 
as we get ready for this harvest America. You know, we got to be a praying people. we got to be a praying people that God will bring people in and they will give their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, this is the hardest tool. This is the hardest tool for, um, for building people up. This is the most difficult, and this is where some people check out and say, nope, <laughs> take a left turn right here, is you got to give yourself. you got to give yourself. you got to give up yourself and time and energy investing in other people, and that's the hard part. Hey, folks, I'm with you. I understand we have very busy schedules. You know, we have family lives. I, trust me, I know. I've been there. I, I, I worked a full-time job, ran a paper route every morning, and then did some stuff in the evenings. I know what it's like, but we got to find some time where we can carve out of our schedule, whether it's on the weekend or a weekday or whatever your schedule may look like, and give some time into building other people's lives. And it's a blessing. And ultimately, everything that is done, the foundation, he says, uh, all for your upbuilding, what do we build on? There's one foundation, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. We, We build on him. We build on his word. As your faith increases in in the word of God and in your understanding of the Lord and prayer and fellowship and as he as as he um changes your heart you don't even see it you don't even realize it but your foundation without you realizing is getting stronger and stronger and stronger and it's being built up and before you know it man you're, you're going from being discipled by someone to discipling other people it's an amazing thing. I, I, I'll never forget. When I first got saved in 92, it was like I was being discipled. I was being mentored by people. And then a couple years later, I was in that role. And I was discipling people. And I was mentoring people. And I was helping other young people come to know Christ and follow him. It's an amazing journey. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 is a... Uh, Let's just just check it out. Verse 20. Verse 20. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish. It may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances. Now, verse 20 and 21 are interesting because verse 20 gives us a list of sins. And then verse 21 gives us a list of sins. But if you notice, they're kind of categorized. Verse 20, the sins listed in verse 20, there's no mention of lying. There's no mention of adultery. There's no mention of stealing. There's no mention of blasphemy. These are what some will call respectable sins. In 2007, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. And he talked about in that book how so many times in Christianity, we focus on the big sins, the big ten, you know, the lying, stealing, adultery, all, all them sins. But we forget about the little sins. We, we forget about the small ones. These are the sins that you'll, you'll see a lot in Christianity that we tolerate, that we tolerate. But actually, my friend, these sins listed in verse 20 can sometimes be worse than the big ten. They can be worse than the Big Ten because the sins listed in verse 20 are the sins that wreck churches. That wreck churches. This is called, this is uh, verse 20, these sins listed here, this is a recipe for church death. 
This is recipe for church death. This is called recipe for a crippled church. These, all these sins in verse 20, they're, they're, they're our, they got to deal with our character. They got to deal with our character and who we are. Um, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, slander, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. But they cripple the body. They cripple the body. And these are the ones that we, that we, that we as leadership and we as a body have to guard against. You know, we all come from different walks of life. We all have different backgrounds, different parents, different cultures. But the one thing that brings us together is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Regardless of race or where you're from or who, who you are, we all come together under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that bond that we have with Christ has got to be protected. It's got to be protected in the local church, in the churches in the surrounding community. It's got to be protected. In verse 21, Paul has an even greater concern. Paul has an even greater concern. Um, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Do you see the second category of sins? It's deep. These are the big ten. Both are, both are sin. Both need to be repented of. But he, he says that they may not repent of the impurities, the immoralities, and sensuality. This, my friend, is the heart of a shepherd. It's the heart not only of a shepherd, but it's the heart of a true believer. You know, we're grieved over sin. We're grieved over what sin does in people's lives. And it makes us upset and it makes us angry when we see sin tear people apart. But what makes it even worse is when we see believers who won't turn from it and won't repent. You know, because of our love and our care for them, we see them and we want them to see them come back to Christ. It should, it should break our hearts when we, when we see a brother or sister in Christ um, going down a road that they have no business going down. And many times it turns into a rescue mission. You know, we love them, we warn them, but then it, hopefully at the end of the road, when they get to the bottom of the tank, you know, we can lift them back up. But the whole way, it should mourn us. It's not being, about, it's not being judgmental. It's about having a heart of compassion. It's about having a heart of compassion and a heart that cares. A heart that cares. Amen? The mission statement of Calvary Chapel Irmo is to make disciples that are focused upwards, inwards, and outwards. Every teaching, you should be able to ask the question, what has this message, how has this message pointed me? Has it pointed me upward, inwards, or outwards? Where has it pointed us? It's pointed us inwards. Uh, last week, we, look at the, we looked at the sufficiency of grace, and we looked at our upward relationship with God and his awesome, all-powerful, amazing grace. This week, we look inwards, and we look at ourselves, and we examine ourselves, and, and, and make sure that 
Number one, how to have an impact on people, that we walk in humility. Number two, we're not a burden. Number three, our goal is to get to the heart. Get to the heart of the matter. Starts the heart. Number four is to show people we care. Go the extra mile. And number five is our job is to build people and not tear them down. Let's do that. And as, as we, as our ministry expands in Calvary Chapel Armo and we grow, let's keep this in mind. As new people come to Christ and come into the fellowship, let's keep this in mind and not have a haughty spirit, but welcome them, put our arms around them and, and welcome them to the fellowship and love on them and show them the truth and let God grow them in holiness, in sanctification, in growing, in becoming wholehearted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word that we've looked at this morning. Father, help us to have an impact, a greater impact on the people of this community. But Lord, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to examine ourselves. And help us to be mindful of how we present ourselves. Just as, as Paul was defending his credibility to the church at Corinth, let us look at our own credibility. Let, let us look at the way we live and make sure our witness is matching the words that we speak. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.